Today, the Matt Walsh Show, trans activists in Iowa stage another insurrection, this time in Iowa, in protest of a bill that correctly defines the words male and female. Also, residents in Massachusetts are now housing illegal migrants in their own homes. We'll talk about all the ways that this could go horribly wrong for everybody involved. And the White House says that Biden will not take a cognitive test to prove that he's still a conscious human being. Plus, Netflix gets ready to release what is sure to be the worst comedy special of all time, and possibly the worst thing ever put to film in any genre. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. This episode is brought to you by Preborn. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com slash Walsh. To say it's been an extremely rough 12 months for trans activists in the state of Iowa would be an understatement. Last March, the governor of Iowa signed legislation banning doctors from giving puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to minors. The law also outlawed the genital mutilation of children. There's nothing particularly unusual about this bill. It's resembled legislation that had already been passed in Tennessee, Mississippi, Utah, South Dakota, Arizona, Arkansas, Alabama, several other states as well. But trans activists in Iowa thought of a unique way to protest the ban for reasons that still aren't entirely clear. They held an impromptu freak show in a park in which they demanded to be taken seriously. And naturally, they received sympathetic coverage from local news stations because of it. Uh, here's what that looked like. Taking to the streets. I have two trans kids myself. Protesters fighting for trans rights at Vanderbeer Park in Davenport. Rights they say are under attack. I was really shocked. I didn't think it could happen so close to home. Um, I thought we were a lot safer than we are. <laughs> Ivy Gray is a drag artist who transitioned when she was 18. You know how I feel. It has definitely saved my life. I'm currently on a hormone blocker. Uh, I've been on it for almost three years now. High schooler Colin Duncan is someone who would be directly impacted. I'm afraid that I'm going to have to wait until for like another several years to be able to take this medication. Transgender people are just trying to live their life and be happy and be who they want to be and feel comfortable in their own skin. He transitioned when he was 13, but says he knew he felt like a boy by six years old. Uh, it's just uh, just sad, actually. It's quite quite sad, especially when you have uh, a child there who has um, been irreparably harmed by this uh, and maybe doesn't realize it yet, or maybe she does, but she will. The demonstration was apparently intended to convey the credibility and legitimacy of these trans activists. They want you to know that they're definitely not self-obsessed narcissists. They're definitely not child abusers, which is why they're parading a child that they've abused up in front of them. And uh, to prove it, you know, some of them dressed up in Halloween costumes, I guess, and pranced around in public. And of course, they repeat the argument that so-called trans kids are just trying to live their lives by taking hormones and puberty blockers. Uh, you know, they're just, uh, we, we should leave them alone, as if children can consent to permanent sterilization and early onset bone disease, as if they understand at all that that's what they are signing up for, because they don't. Uh, it's, it's just laughable and evil uh, at the same time, and, and needless to say, it's convincing no one. Iowa's law banning child castration was signed by the governor shortly afterwards. So this year, Iowa's trans community was uh, back with a new strategy, and this time, in response to new bills making their way through the Iowa legislature, Trans activists decided to commit what can only be described and what has already been described by precedent as an act of flagrant insurrection against the United States of America. The display was not contained to the park this time, although, as you'll see, they, they did that as well. But this is footage from this past week in the Iowa uh, Capitol building. Watch. Try to bring this back when we're not looking, but we're not ever going to 
look away. And we are going to come back every single time. Now, needless to say, everybody involved in all of that should be arrested as insurrectionists and sent to prison for 15 years. That's the precedent that's been set, and it should be applied equally. No matter how I might feel about it, that's the way it should go. Now, as you heard from the guy with the, uh, the colored hair there, uh, we should shut it down today, but they're going to try this back uh, again when we're not looking. And that's a reference to a bill that would have classified gender dysphoria as a disability. The Iowa House rejected that legislation after the mob showed up and occupied the state house which is apparently acceptable when trans activists do it. But as he predicted, there would indeed be more legislation coming that these activists wouldn't like. And in response, they once again occupied the Capitol. Now, this latest, this latest bill that we're, we're told will inevitably lead to the genocide of trans activists is actually pretty straightforward. For one thing, it would provide a clear definition for man and woman on the record legally, because that's something we need to do now. Specifically, the bill would define a female as a person whose biological reproductive system is developed to produce ova, and it would define male as someone whose biological reproductive system is developed to fertilize the ova of a female. Now, one thing you'll notice about those definitions is that they are not circular. They also aren't subjective, which is to say they are actual definitions, unlike anything trans activists are capable of producing themselves. Leftists you know, who use the word nuance all the time, but wouldn't know nuance if it smacked them over the head, have tried to quibble with the definitions by pointing out that, you know, as they always do point out, that some small number of males and small number of females have dysfunctional reproductive systems. This obviously doesn't undermine the definitions of the term. And in any event, the definition in the law says that the male's reproductive system is developed to fertilize the ova of a female, that the female's reproductive system is developed to produce the ova. That doesn't mean that this system plays out perfectly in every case with every person. It just means that, you know, the end goal of the, uh, of the, the, the systems develop to that end. Uh, whether they reach that end or whether things go haywire in the meantime, whether there's disease or whatever, disorder, uh, genetic defect that interferes, still the systems are developing to that end. So the definition works very well. It's a, it's a good definition. It is a definition at least. But the bill does run into some major problems as it goes along. They aren't the problems that trans activists are complaining about, though. So, so first, I'll present their argument, which, as usual, uh, isn't really an argument at all. According to opponents of this bill, the legislation would, quote, require special gender markers for transgender people on birth certificates uh, that were compared to pink triangles once used to identify LGBTQ plus people by Nazis in the 1940s. Now, that's according to a trans activist writing in The Guardian Apparently, these special gender markers were compared to something that the Nazis did. And this comparison was made by someone, some unnamed entity or individual. And now we're supposed to be very alarmed by this, uh, even though it's now obvious to everyone that transgender activists are incapable of making reasoned, calm points about anything. You know, they, they have to compare everything they don't like to Hitler at every possible opportunity. So now they're implying that people identifying as transgender are going to be hunted down in Iowa based on their birth certificates or, you know, other documentation. This article was written by trans activist Aaron Reed, by the way. So, you know, by his logic, if I, if I compared him to serial killer John Wayne Gacy, what, whether the comparison makes sense or not, if I just did, then the rest of you, when referring to Aaron Reed, you could say, Aaron Reed, who has been compared to serial killer John Wayne Gacy. You know, that's the way it works now. It's like someone makes the comparison, doesn't matter if it makes any sense. And then, uh, and, then, and then everyone else can, can phrase it like that. You know, I don't make the rules, but I will have fun exploiting them. Now, if you read the, the actual text of the bill, here's what you'll find. The bill defines the word sex to, to mean, quote, a person's biological sex, either male or female, at birth. Now, right away there, you'll notice that that is a circular definition, which isn't a great sign. And then things get worse. The bill goes on to state that, quote, the state registrar shall establish a new certificate of birth for a person born in the state when the state registrar receives a notarized affidavit by a licensed physician and surgeon stating that by reason of surgery or other treatment, the sex designation of the person has been changed. At that point, the new birth certificate will include, quote, a designation of the sex of the person as male or female, both at the time of the birth and at the time the new certificate of birth is established. Well, this is incoherent. You know, it's, it's actually nonsense. Because someone's sex cannot be changed. 
It's not assigned at birth. It's never assigned by any human being. It's assigned by God. And uh, a notarized affidavit from a physician is incapable of changing someone's sex or sex designation, no matter how many body parts that physician has cut off or mutilated. So what Iowa should be doing is requiring that people's birth certificates accurately state their sex. That's it. That's all. That's all there is to it. Once you buy into the lie that sex can be changed, then you've given trans activists 95% of what they want. Now, they may be too hysterical to realize it. You know, they may not celebrate it as a victory. They may not understand that by even uh, by putting into the law that sex can be changed, they've already, that, that is a major concession for them. Or they may understand it, but they don't care because they don't want 95%. They want 100%. But no matter what they understand, that's what's happening. The only solution is to embrace reality and ban people from changing their sex, quote unquote, or their quote unquote gender entirely because, because it can't happen anyway. You can't do it. So the law should, the law should never recognize something that is false. The law should, there should be never a time when, when a legal document codifies or recognize, recognizes a falsehood. That is fraud. You're, you're perpetrating a fraud. So a, a birth certificate that indicates that a male is a female or that changed to female uh, that birth certificate is, is a fraud. It's a fraudulent document. So instead, you just make it very simple. Male or female, that's what it says. That's it. No matter how you feel, no matter what surgeries you've gotten, no matter what drugs you've taken, no matter what any doctor says, male or female. Which is the system that Florida set up a couple of, uh, couple of weeks ago. The Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles announced that residents can no longer change their gender from male to female, whether they have a, a letter from a medical provider or not. Because medical providers, as it turns out, are not gods. They don't have magical, superhuman abilities to uh, change the laws of nature. So it doesn't matter. I don't care if a thousand doctors have signed a, a, a piece of paper saying, yep, this person changed their sex to female. Doesn't matter. You could have a million sign it. Makes no difference. And that's the case in Florida now. They're just not going to allow that, and that's obviously the right approach. And predictably, it led trans activists to melt down in their typical melodramatic fashion. As we saw yesterday, they staged this die-in at the DMV because, of course, if you can't change your gender on your driver's license, then uh, you're as good as dead. So let's see that again. That is a low that is a low energy chant, I gotta say. I'm disappointed. And this is also an illegal demonstration, by the way. They're blocking access to the Florida DMV. Now, you know, you might say that they're mostly silent and uh, peaceful and they're just lying there and it's kind of weird, but it's not like preventing anyone from doing anything. Um, and and so you know, they shouldn't be thrown in prison for that. But that didn't stop the DOJ from sending SWAT teams to the homes of pro-life activists when they were silent and peaceful outside of abortion clinics. And those activists, as you know from the show, are now facing a decade in prison. The only punishment these trans activists receive, by contrast, is mockery on the internet because of how completely detached from reality they are. Like, never in history has a group reacted so hysterically to laws this benign and commonsensical. And, and never have they been more coddled. Now, this approach, coddling these people, creates a lot more problems than it solves. The Iowa bill is a perfect example of that. It doesn't just concede that sex can be changed. It also gets bogged down in confusing and unnecessary explanations instead of laying down simple and straightforward rules to deal with all this nonsense. For example, the bill states that, quote, the term equal does not mean same or identical. But the bill doesn't actually define what equal means, if not same or identical. The bill also states, quote, separate accommodations are not inherently unequal. Now, that's true depending on the context, but no one's going to read that line and not think of Plessy versus Ferguson and racial segregation. Like you're, just, you're inviting that kind of melodramatic uh, response. So all you need to do is say men can't use women's bathrooms, can't use women's locker rooms, 
And women can't use men's bathrooms or locker rooms. That's it. It's not that complicated. That's all you have to say. But the bill leaves itself open to attack here, apparently in an effort to explain things to trans activists that they don't need to actually have explained. Because here's the thing. The claims made by trans activists are so fundamentally false and ridiculous that any attempt to meet them on their turf, any ground you give them, even just an inch, will end up with you getting lost in a web of incoherence. So so all you can do is lay things out very simply, according to the basic biological truth, and weave it at that. These people cannot be defeated with half measures. Any form of compromise only emboldens them further. They see weakness and they exploit it. And that's why a bill like this doesn't go far enough. Trans activists who want to deny reality should not receive any kind of endorsement of the state. They are not entitled to any kind of third category of gender, nor should they create, nor should they get separate but equal systems on their behalf. I mean, the problem with that isn't that it's offensive. The problem is that it's, 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 you're giving them too much. And there's also no political reason to afford any of these concessions. Trans activists as a group have never been weaker. They've never been more exposed, less organized, less popular. After years of completely dominating the conversation by shrieking as loudly as they can, now they're on the defensive. And if we want to end this conversation forever, a conversation we never should have had to have in the first place, then the solution is not to humor them anymore. The the whole movement deserves nothing but our scorn and contempt and absolute uncompromising rejection. And when that's all they get from us, then then no, trans people aren't going to die, but their ideology will. Now let's get to our five headlines. Did you know a baby's heartbeat uh, begins at just three weeks? At five weeks, you can hear it on an ultrasound. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to move his or her hands. I'm telling you this because when a mother who is considering abortion is introduced to her child via ultrasound, when she hears the heartbeat for the first time, she's twice as likely to choose life. And that's how Preborn rescued 200 babies every day. They provide mothers with free ultrasounds so that they can meet the life that is growing inside them. Preborn needs our help. To save these precious souls, for just 28 bucks, you can sponsor an ultrasound and save a life. And if you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures that, uh, of the lives that you help save. All gifts are tax-deductible, and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Walsh. That's preborn.com slash Walsh. Are you a few years or decades out of school and wondering, what the heck did I even learn and what was the point? You might even be thinking, I don't have the time to learn something new. Well, if that's you, you're not alone and it's not too late. Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses. Learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses. If you're not sure where to start, check out American Citizenship and its Decline with Victor Davis Hansen. In this eight-lecture course, Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats that it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. Start your free course of American citizenship and its decline with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go to hillsdale.edu slash Walsh to enroll. There's no cost. It's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash Walsh to enroll. hillsdale.edu slash Walsh. Okay, you may remember uh, you may remember about six months ago when the governor of Massachusetts asked residents to house illegal migrants in their homes. Uh, and if you don't remember that, well, here it is again. Mark. Governor Maura Healey declaring a state of emergency due to emergency shelters there reaching capacity with migrants. Officials say there are almost 5,600 families and over 20,000 individuals in Bay State shelters. This is 80% higher than this time last year. Governor Healy's administration is now asking Massachusetts residents to help with the crisis. If you have an extra room or suite in your home, please consider hosting a family. Safe housing and shelter is our most pressing need. Become a sponsor family. You can contact the Brazilian Workers Center for more information on how you can step up if you're willing to have an additional family be part of your family. In the governor's letter to the federal government on Tuesday, she stated that the crisis is currently costing the state of Massachusetts $45 million per month. 
on programs to assist the families. So that's a government official uh, requesting that citizens personally house illegal migrants in their home. Um, you'll, you'll notice that this request is never made for our own homeless in this country. You don't hear governors suggesting that you go down the street and, and uh, get, go down to the street corner and invite a homeless guy to come live with you. Uh, it, it, because if we're going that direction, you would think that that would be our first priority, or, or the, the homeless people who are actual American citizens. Um, but they don't ask you to do that for really the simple reason that they know that it would be very dangerous. Bringing a homeless guy into your home could have disastrous results for you, your family, your home. And uh, in fact, it's like almost certain to have disastrous results. And the government official who encouraged that behavior would be blamed for it. And they wouldn't have a lot of um, political cover to shield them from the blame. Now, bringing in homeless immigrants into your home, um, that is just as dangerous. But government officials know that they'll be protected by the media when things go south. So if some citizen decides to house a migrant and then the migrant kills or rapes that person or destroys the house or all of the above, uh, the media will try its best to ignore it or, or hide the fact that the assailant was a migrant, um, whatever they can do. So you know that you have some cover there. And, and I think that's the reason why you're getting this suggestion for this crisis and not the, the uh, homeless crisis. Um, and so the suggestion was made, and now it appears that some residents of the state have actually taken the governor up on this suggestion. Watch. Story you'll only see here on NBC10 Boston. A migrant family from Haiti is sharing their experience. They're searching for shelter in the Boston area and then recently found a host home in Brookline. And now they're looking for jobs. As NBC10's Aaron Logan reports, they say these last few weeks have been life-changing. And it's been an emotional few weeks for Wildande Joseph and her husband. First, sleeping on the floor at Logan Airport, then in Children's Hospital with their two-year-old daughter who got very sick. She felt bad as any mother would. Now things are looking much brighter as they've been welcomed into Lisa Hillenbrand's Brookline apartment. Tu niña es muy alegre ahora. She says her daughter is very happy. When she wakes up in the morning, she says, hi, Lisa, and everyone starts the day smiling. It's a delight, and it's really fun having them. What I realized is there's so much prejudice against refugees, mostly because people don't know them. Lisa says she feels like she has her own personal chef, as Wildande loves cooking. Te gusta la ocupación? In fact, her goal is to open up her own restaurant. Okay, now, in theory, you, you want to at least give this host couple some credit for being charitable and, you know, living according to their own convictions. Um, but I can't help but notice that bit at the end there about, it's like having a personal chef. Like, imagine that. A personal chef who works for free. And I bet she cleans too, doesn't she? So you got a chef and a maid in the house for free. You don't have to pay her. Um, now, I can't speak to the motivations of uh, these people, uh, these, this nice liberal white woman. Uh, it's, it says it's been quite lovely. Oh, it's lovely. All those people are so prejudiced against migrants. Not us. We're, we're better than them. We brought in this family. The, the young woman cooks and cleans for us. We didn't ask her to. She just does. Now, so I, I don't know. I can't see inside their hearts. I don't know what their motivation is. But I do know that when you encourage people to just go down to the bus stop or the airport terminal or where, wherever and bring illegals into their homes, you're basically inviting them to go shopping for servants and slaves. You're inviting them to bring slave labor into their house, which is what apparently is happening here. Um, or, or what you might, or, or it, it seems as though that, that might be where it's uh, headed in, in, that, in, in that particular case. Uh, so this system is dangerous for everybody involved, if you can even call it a system. The chances of these migrant families being exploited and basically forced into slave labor is quite high. And at the same time, the chances of Americans who are opening up their homes, the chances that they will be taken advantage of or robbed or assaulted or killed 
uh, also quite significant. So this is a disaster waiting to happen on every level going in both directions and everybody knows it. You know, enough people do this and it's just, it, it will be only a few days until we hear the first story of um, something terrible happening to somebody on either side of this. And by the way, another thought that I'm sure that this uh, nice white liberal woman has not has not considered is what do you do when the migrants turn out to be somewhat unpleasant roommates? Okay, what do you do when when like you don't you don't you decide you don't want them in your house anymore? How, how do you make them leave? Can you make them leave? How do you evict them? Yeah, the governor is saying, well, yeah, bring the illegal migrants into your home. Well, can you go when when it goes badly and you want to get them out of your home? Can you go to the governor then and say, hey, can you help get these people out? I mean, this is your suggestion. Can you help me out here? I, I don't think she's going to be much help with that. So how do you force them out? Can you call the cops and have the cops drag them out? Will the cops do that in Massachusetts? Or are you now legally basically a landlord and you have to go through the whole onerous court process of forcing a tenant out of your home? A process that landlords, especially landlords in states like Massachusetts, will be the first to tell you is extremely difficult. It takes months. It takes thousands of dollars. And it may not even prove successful in the end. So is that how it's going to work? I would bet a lot of money that it is. The other thing I'm predicting is that, first of all, yes, someone is getting very badly hurt, you know, multiple people probably because of this. Um, and also, we are going to hear very soon in, in Massachusetts, we're going to hear a case of, of one of these nice people deciding that they don't want to be so nice anymore, trying to get the migrants out of their home, and they won't leave. And they're stuck because the cops are not going to drag them out. Politicians are not going to do anything to help you. And you're going to be in court trying to get these people out of your house. And then what? You know, the only positive is that if this does blow up in somebody's face, which it will, uh, at least right now at this point, it will blow up in the faces of people who invited this problem into their homes. Um, my biggest worry is that soon enough, you won't have to invite it anymore. Because here's one thing we know for sure. Anytime the government asks its citizens to do something, anytime it says, gee, wouldn't it be nice if you did this, this, did this thing that we want you to do? Hey, here's this thing that we really think you should do. It would be nice. Wouldn't it be nice? It would be great if you tried this out. Can you try it? Well, anytime the government says that, what comes next is always, and I mean always, a mandate. So the request turns into a demand every single time. The uh, suggestion becomes an order. That's the way it always goes. Because the government treats us like children, and this is the way parents treat their children. This is what I do with my kids, right? If I, if I uh, uh, say to my, uh, one of my kids, hey, uh, uh, would you mind go, go, uh, you know, setting the table for dinner? Why don't you go set the table? If I said that to them, and then they responded, no. Now, they would never say that to me. But if they did, you know, my response would be, okay, let me uh, rephrase here. Go set the table for dinner now. Okay, That's, I, I was being nice in the way that I phrased it. Now it won't be nice anymore. Just go do as I told you. It's not a choice, actually. And this is how parents are with kids, which is fine, because we're the parents. The government is not a parent, but that's how they view the relationship. So when they start by saying, this would be great if you did this, uh, hey, why don't you house some illegals? Then that's, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? You guys could have a sleepover. What do you say? Just go down to the bus stop, find some illegals that are, you don't know where they're from. You, you have no idea where they're from. You don't know anything about them. You don't even know their names. You can't speak their language. Um, you can't communicate with them. You don't know anything about a criminal record. You don't know what they were doing back in their home country. You don't even know where their home country is. You know nothing about them, but, uh, but hey, just let them in your house. What could go wrong? Except for the millions of things that could go wrong. What could go wrong? Uh, 
That's what they're saying now, but very soon it's going to be, okay, let me rephrase. Um, you each need to go find five illegals to have in your homes right now. You got a week, figure it out. That's the way it's going to go. We can all see it. You know, it's like a, it's this slow moving, like, like with so many other things, it's this slow moving train that you see coming down the tracks, or at least we can, we can see it, but you've got these morons who are sitting on the track and the train is like right there, inching along. And you're saying to them, the train's right there. Get off the track. It's, it will be, it, it's going to smash into you. Very, just get out. What are you doing? And they sit and they just wait for it. These, these idiots. Uh, all right. Daily Wire has this. The Senate passed a $95 billion foreign aid bill early Tuesday morning that allocates money for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. The bill passed on a 70 to 29 vote with over half of Senate Republicans voting against the measure. The aid package allocates $61 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, $4.83 billion for U.S. allies in the Indo-Pacific, and over $9 billion in global humanitarian aid. Um, as we said, uh, most Republicans voted against it, but a large number voted for it. Um, including people you would expect, like McConnell, Murkowski, um, you know, kind of the uh, Susan Collins, the usual suspects. Now, this is disgusting, obviously, uh, or it should be obvious that it's disgusting. A lot of conservatives are focused on the fact that we're spending $95 billion on foreign aid. We're, we're shipping almost $100 billion off, 100 more you know, billion off to these foreign countries. Meanwhile, our own border is in shambles. And and that does make the whole thing more outrageous and even more wicked than it otherwise would be. But it would still be outrageous and wicked even if the border was under control. Even in that fantasy land scenario where we actually have our border, let's say there's a wall, a big, beautiful wall across the entire border, and we're, and we're enforcing the border. We have men with guns down there enforcing the border as we should. You know, but even then, um, sending all this money to foreign countries would still be a terrible betrayal. All foreign aid is a betrayal. All foreign aid is bad. The whole concept, the whole program should be abolished. This program, this welfare program for foreign governments should be abolished. It shouldn't exist. And, and that should be the conservative position on this. Not that we need to take care of our own people first and then go send the money to foreign governments. Like, that would be better than what we're doing now. But even that would be, um, would be bad. Uh, we just should not be in the foreign aid business at all. Um, I, I reject all of it. And uh, I think everyone should. You, you know, to my mind, and I, and I make this case, and I was talking about it this morning. There's always people that will... Yeah, just scoff at it. They'll never explain why I'm wrong about this. So how is it, like, explain how foreign aid is not, by definition, taxation without representation. It seems to me that's exactly what it is. Our country was literally formed to stop that kind of abuse, taxation without representation, and yet it has been reinstated, really in many forms, but foreign aid is maybe the most egregious. What is taxation without representation? What does that mean? It means that the, that money is taken from taxpayers and used by a government in ways that do not benefit those taxpayers um, and in ways that the taxpayers have no say over. And, and when taxpayers fund a government without any say in how the funds are used or in the policies of that government— that's taxation without representation, and that is foreign aid. That's exactly what foreign aid is. When money is taken out of your bank account, out of your paycheck, uh, food is snatched off, the, off of your child's plate, and it's sent over to Ukraine or Yemen or Ethiopia or Israel or Egypt or Nigeria, Nigeria or anywhere else that we send um, foreign aid. I mean, those are some of the top recipients. Uh, you do not benefit directly or even indirectly, from how the funds are used. You won't know how the funds are used. You're completely detached from it. You're not represented. And nobody over in those countries is worried about you or, or concerned about making sure that you benefit from the expenditure. Um, nobody is. 
They don't even know you exist, right? And, and if you object to how your tax money is used, you can't vote them out. That's supposed to be, in a, in a democratic system, that's supposed to be our, our, um, uh, our bargaining chip. I mean, in theory, anyway, is that, is that if our money is wasted or spent in ways that we don't like, then we can go to the politicians responsible for that, and we could say, you're done. We're kicking you out. We fire you. Now, it doesn't work that way nearly as much as it should, but still, in theory, that's the way it works. But when it's a foreign government with your tax money, then you can't, that's not even an option. You can't vote them out, right? If you find out that foreign aid was wasted by whoever in Nigeria, like, what can you do about it? You can't do anything about it. You have no control over it. So uh, to me, it's just crazy that we tolerate this. You know, it shouldn't be allowed. And, and I don't know, anytime I talk about this, I'm always told, I'm assured that um, we, we can't pull back on foreign aid because if we do that, then this and that terrible thing will happen as a result. It's usually pretty vague. They're pretty vague about what the, what the horrible uh, result would be. Uh, but but you know what? If there are countries out there that would collapse without a constant influx of tax money, then those countries don't deserve to exist. I mean, if they cannot stand on their own two feet, if they cannot exist but as uh, as welfare recipients, if they cannot exist but as subsidiaries of the United States and, and United States taxpayers then they, they, they shouldn't exist. I mean, I don't think that that's a radical position. It sounds, we're trained to see it as cruel or something, but that's the way of the world. If you want your country to exist, you have to defend it. And if you can't, it will just not exist anymore. There's not any country that has a right to exist even if it can't maintain its own existence. I mean, think about it. It doesn't make any sense. It goes for our own country. We continue to let the illegal invasion uh, go on. We keep weakening our military, but with the DEI stuff and everything else, and then uh, and eventually we will cease to exist. And we and we can't. There's no one that we can turn to and say this isn't fair. We we have a right. No, you have to defend your own country. If you can't, it just will not be there anymore. Um, and that 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 is just the way of 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 human civilization since the beginning of you know since since its beginning since its inception. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. And uh, it's like I've been saying about Ukraine this whole time. Well, they need our help. If they, if they don't have our help, then Russia will take over. Okay. Well, I guess Russia will take over. I don't know. Like, it's up to you. It's, you that's your own country. Defend it. It's, it's, not, it's not up to me to do. Um, and if you can't, then if you're incapable, then, well, I, I guess that's it. All right. Uh, this morning, the White House was asked if the president is going to take a cognitive test as part of his upcoming physical. And uh, you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked by the answer. But here it is. Does the White House think that the, the idea of the president taking a cognition test, a cognitive test, as a part of this uh, physical is a legitimate idea, particularly just on the heels of the special counsel report, more polling, as my colleague Selena just mentioned, showing that many American people have concerns about that. Look, I got this question last week as well, and I'm just going to say what the what uh, Dr. O'Connor, it's kind of a uh, what he said to me about a year ago uh, when the report came out last year, uh, obviously on his physical, uh, which is the president proves every day how he operates, how he thinks, right? But by dealing with world leaders, by making really difficult decisions on behalf of the, the American people, whether it's domestic, whether it's national security. And so he shows it every day on how he thinks, how he operates. Uh, and so that is how, uh, that is how the, Dr. O'Connor sees it, and that's how I'm gonna leave it. Yeah. taking that kind of a test. And I believe, for me, you're asking me my personal opinion, uh, he is sharp. Uh, he is on top of things. He, when we have uh, meetings with him, with his staff, he's constantly pushing us, getting, trying to get more information. And so that has been my experience with this president. Uh, anything else outside of that, uh, I just shared with you what Dr. O'Connor said to me. Uh, and so I'll just leave it there. 
There you go. Uh, actually, it, it reminds me very much of Ibram X. Kendi's response yesterday when I uh, challenged him to a debate. And, uh, and he said he doesn't need to debate me because historians already agree with him. So there's no reason to debate. And now the White House uh, says that Biden doesn't need a cognitive test because his doctor already said that he's doing a great job. His doctor already said it. His doctor gave him a lollipop and, uh, and a sticker and said he was a big boy because he didn't cry when he got the shot, you know. And, and that's, uh, that's, that's, that's all we need to know. That's the answer from the White House. Which, of course, as you know, there are two ways to fail a cognitive test as a presidential candidate. Uh, one is to take it and fail it, and the other is to refuse to take it. Uh, so th- those are both fails. Uh, basically, Biden's score on the cognitive exam by not taking it is the same score he would have gotten if he had taken it, which is zero. So he, he scores a zero. He has zero cognition. And that would be the case whether he took it or not. I would respect them a lot more if they just said that. They might as well because, you know, th- that's the amount of respect they have for us. So I would, res- I would respect it more if they just say, listen, what do you think is going to happen if he takes it? You know, <laughs> the guy's a cucumber. Of course, of course, what do you want to know? That he has no idea what's happening? That he's, he's barely awake? He barely has a functioning brain? Yeah, of course he doesn't. We know that. His score is a zero, folks, okay? What else do you need? I would respect that more. At least they're honest in that case. But don't worry about any of that because, yeah, uh, Biden is refusing to take the, uh, the test to prove that he's not a vegetable. But, but he did post this video yesterday of him eating fried chicken with a black family. Watch. Oh man, you got chicken fingers. You got it. Oh, I want the root of making sure I had the hamburger. So tell me about you guys. What you doing these days? Why don't you share about your passion of sports? I'm playing AAU basketball right now. Are you really? Are you guard? Yes, sir. Now, what grade are you in? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Right now, I'm just doing basketball, playing guard on the JV team for my school. How about the school? How are y'all doing in school? You should tell the president about the school. Favorite thing about it is the business academy I'm in. We get to like travel, so we've been to like NC State, uh, Wake Tech, and we. You're kidding me. Yeah, we went to this small dry cleaning business, and it's just it's cool. It's a great experience. I'm impressed. Is that a new program in the school? Yes, sir. It is. It just started, just a couple of years ago. You know how much this guy loves you. You can just feel it, can't you? Yes, sir. Your dad jumped in front of a bull for you. By the way, we dads are hard to raise. Once you're a teenager, we're hard to raise. So you gotta be patient with us, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Go patient. Those kids were very polite. They were very polite with the old man. Uh, they're very polite with grandpa, which is nice. This is how bad things are. That was 71 seconds, that video. Felt like a lot longer, but it was 71 seconds. And they gave us 71 seconds of Biden eating a meal with a, a nice minority family. And even in that 71 seconds, he's still rambling. He said, uh, I went the route of making sure I had a hamburger. That was his way of... Someone asked, what did you get? Well, I went the route of making sure I had a hamburger. What? What, what are you trying to hit a word count? What kind of answer is that? Is that how you, that how you order your food? Yeah, what would you like? Uh, yes, yeah, so, well, I'm, I'm going to embark on a journey, I think, of finding a path to figuring out a way to ensure that I end up at the conclusion or, or ultimately discovering, even, uh, even I would say consuming and, and, and eventually passing through my digestive tract, uh, a grilled cheese, please. So you can't even get a good 71 seconds out of this guy. And, and for the rest of the video, he's whispering. Like, this is the thing that he does now. He, just, he, he can barely speak above a whisper. It's so weird. It's like... It, and we're, we're, we are more used to this than we should be. And I'm telling you that 20, 30 years from now, people are going to look back at some of this stuff. They're not, they won't be able to believe it. They're like, that guy was, was? How did he, was he president? And no one's going to be able to understand it. I, I, I don't understand it now. He can barely speak above a whisper. He literally, he sounds like he's dying. He does it. I'm not even trying to be funny. He sounds like he's dying all the time. Every time, every time he's, it's not funny. But every time he speaks, he sounds like a character in a movie who's communicating his dying wish. It, and, but, this is, but they post it because it's the best they could do. 
is this. And I would also like to know some of the behind the scenes on a, on a video like this being made. I would love to see the uncut footage. I'd love to see that. And I want to know everything leading up to it. Like, that's the story I'd like to know. How did they find this family? What did they say to them? Hey, we'd like you to come and uh, eat fried chicken with the president. Why fried chicken? Is it because we're, we're black? Is that what? No, not at all. Okay, well, can we order Olive Garden to go? No, no, we'll, just, we'll stick with this fried chicken. It's, you know, we got a coupon. We'll just, we're, we already planned on that. We'll just do that. Don't read too much into it, okay? And they sit there and they uh, have this awkward conversation with him. That's our president. That is our president, folks. Let's get to was Walsh wrong. Are you struggling with back taxes or unfiled returns this year? The IRS is escalating collections by adding 20,000 new agents. In these challenging times, your best defense is to use Tax Network USA. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. These guys are not your friends. Don't waive your rights and speak with these agents on your own without backup. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over a billion dollars in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help, whether it's business or personal taxes, whether you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income. Tax Network USA can finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Seize control of your financial future now and don't let tax issues overpower you. Contact Tax Network USA for immediate relief and expert guidance. Call 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com Walsh. Turn to Tax Network USA and find your path to financial peace of mind. That's tnusa.com Walsh. Okay, so some comments uh, regarding that he gets us, uh, that awful he gets us ad, uh, the Jesus ad, the alleged Jesus ad that rep- misrepresented uh, the gospel and therefore Jesus. Anyway, that was my take on it. Uh, plenty of people disagree with my take, if you can believe it. Reading a few of these comments, LOL, so funny to see the far right and the far left lose their minds over an ad simply promoting Christ's love. Another one says, you obviously didn't get the lesson, and you're also wrong when you said it wasn't challenging. Obviously, it was challenging for you because you had a big problem with the powerful serving the less powerful, and you think it should be reversed, which is the main point of Jesus's lesson. Um, that, that's, that's not the main point. Of, the, the main point is that Christ came uh, to die for our sins and redeem mankind. That's the main point. And the fact that you don't understand that uh, is, is like exhibit A, you know, uh, or exhibit 55 million and three or whatever we're at, to, we're at now. But that's, but that's, that's uh, the point that, that you don't, you actually think that the main point like of the gospel is that we should be nice to people and treat people nicely. And you, and you were not alone in thinking that that's the point, that that's the main point. And um, the gospel is basically chicken soup for the soul or whatever those books were back in the 90s. Um, Matt, what is the opposite of hate? One could argue is the ability to serve others with selfless love. It's a simple message and one that can be referenced in John uh, chapter 13. Also, you are blatantly misrepresenting the depictions, as there was also a black woman washing the feet of another light-skinned woman. It is this type of dogma that has become all too common and sows the seeds of division. Uh, no, I said that there are that that they had all the different arrangements in the pictures of, of people getting their feet washed. They made very sure that there was not going to be an image of a black person washing the feet of a white person. Okay, and if you think that's just a coincidence that it just happened to be that way that they had 15 pictures of people getting their feet washed, different races, ethnicities, but it, it just didn't so happen that any of them involved that arrangement, then you're an idiot. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe another view is that it's, this is an attempt to be disarming towards people that may have already made their mind up that there is no God. If I were an atheist and I thought that I knew everything about Christ, then I saw this humble act, I'd be curious, maybe even question what I think I know. Finally, Matt, help me understand how and why an ad campaign that's causing curiosity to know more about Jesus is bad. Your criticism only closes doors for those that need to hear the rest of the story. Okay, okay. so two additional points. Number one, a message against, against hate is not enlightening or important. 
It's just a waste. It's a waste of time. I, I'm sorry it is. It might make you feel good uh, to hear it uh, as a Christian, especially, you know, you, uh, it's fine. It makes you feel good, but it's a waste. It's a total waste. You, you, have, you have 60 seconds to speak to 100 million people, and your message is, hate is bad. Let's not hate people. That's what you said? Like you, it's, you, might have just, you, you might as well just sat in front of the camera and said nothing. You might have sat, just sit there and play the trumpet or something. I don't know. Like, like it just, uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's totally meaningless. It's, it's essentially meaningless. It's such, a, it's just such a broad message that everybody already agrees with. Pe- people understand that hate is not a good thing. Even though really, you know, hate is not actually always bad. As I said yesterday, we should hate things that are, we should hate bad things. We should hate sin. We should hate things that harm people um, and so on. But generally speaking, people understand that hate is not a good thing. Like that is an association that everybody makes. So all you really accomplish by saying Jesus didn't teach hate is that is that if you accomplish anything, it's that you imply just by making the statement that some Christians disagree with it. Okay, you're implying that some Christians think that he does teach hate. Even though no Christian thinks that, none. So you are directly supporting, encouraging, and promoting the propaganda against Christians in an effort to promote Christianity? It's like, you know, make it more specific. It's like, what what if the message said, Jesus didn't say that it's okay to steal your neighbor's car. Well, yeah, he didn't say that. So it's it's true that you know Jesus never said that. But when you make that statement, it makes it sound like there are Christians out there who are really suggesting that it's okay for us to steal our neighbor's car because Jesus said that it is. When no one is saying that. And no one is saying that Jesus taught hate. Nobody. Find me the person saying that. No one is saying it. Um, they certainly are not saying it in the way that you're implying. Unless they have a more nuanced message about how, well, yes, we should, as I just said, we should hate things that are bad. And so in that sense, but, but in the way that you are saying, like no one is saying that. Um, finally, and the last thing is just to reiterate, people don't see this stuff and think to themselves, oh man, I got to check out Christianity. Oh, oh yeah, I got I, I to gotta check that out. They don't. So I know that you're... Some of these comments are saying, well, but if it opens the door, it makes people care. But it doesn't open the door. It doesn't work. If this messaging had that effect, then Christianity would be the fastest growing religion in the world, since this is the primary messaging these days. But it isn't. It's declining. Okay? Face the reality. Do you know what the fastest growing religion in the world is? It's Islam. Why is that? Well, for one thing, Muslims have kids. There's one thing. In fact, that alone would be like, if you have a 60 seconds, you could do, you could do much worse than, than making that your message. Like, hey, have kids. It's, 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 it's the very first commandment we're given in the Bible is be fruitful and multiply. It's being ignored by, by many Christians. So, but Muslims don't, don't ignore that. They, they have kids. And, uh, but, and also... Muslims generally are not debasing themselves by sucking up to people who hate them. They they don't really do that. They certainly aren't seen as doing that. Um, They project an image of of confidence in their own faith and strength, and, and that's what people are attracted to. It just is. Christianity with this kind of messaging, which is the most common form of messaging these days, makes itself seem limp and lame and pointless and effeminate, okay? We saw that image outside the abortion clinic. Now, saying we need to go and we need to save these babies who are being, being harmed, they're being killed, we need to rescue them, we need to go out onto the, the cultural battlefield, you know, that is a, is a message that, that does resonate with people. But it's like, go and wash people's feet? Well, after the woman kills her baby, wash her feet. That's, that's, first of all, that's not the right approach. Second, that's not appealing to anybody. It's just not. You make Christianity a punchline. You make it seem impotent. That's how you spread the gospel? By making it seem weak and impotent? Like it has no spine, no backbone? No ability to stand up for itself? 
no will to actually fight. That's not how you grow the faith. If it was, again, the faith will be growing. It's not. I got news for you. Why is this so hard for people to grasp? Christianity was, Christianity was a much more militant uh, faith historically, much more masculine, much stronger, more, let's say, aggressive. Okay? And, and, and it grew. And it became the, the dominant religion in the world. Over the past century or so, and especially over the past half century, that has reversed. And it has adopted a more feminine gentle, uh, you know, much milder approach, emphasizing things like tolerance and acceptance, and you see it declining. So what, is, what don't you understand about this? What, what are you struggling with? Do, do you not see the dots? Do you have trouble connecting them? Um, it, it's really not as mysterious as some of you people make it seem. Our friends at ZipRecruiter conducted a recent survey and found that the top Hiring challenge employers face in 2024 is a lack of qualified candidates. But if you're an employer and need to hire, the good news is that ZipRecruiter has smart tools and features that help you find more qualified candidates quickly. Right now, you can try for free at ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. As soon as you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology shows you candidates whose skills and experience match it. Then you can use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply uh, to send your top candidates a personalized invite to encourage them to respond to your job post. Let ZipRecruiter help you conquer the biggest hiring challenge of finding qualified candidates. See why four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to my exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com W-A-L-S-H. The smartest way to hire is with ZipRecruiter. Also, I need your attention for a major announcement. Mark your calendars for the epic return of Backstage. After almost a year away filming the Pendragon Cycle, the God King Jeremy Boring is back and joined by Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Candace Owens, Andrew Clavin, and myself. Join us tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central as we go behind the scenes and beyond the headlines. There's a lot to cover, so you don't want to miss a minute of it. Watch the show live exclusively on Daily Wire Plus Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. You don't want to miss it. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, we've canceled many different shows, films, and other forms of entertainment during this segment over the years, but so far, we've only canceled them after they've been released and made available to the public in some form. Generally speaking, it wouldn't be fair to condemn something that nobody's even seen yet. But there are exceptions to every rule, which is why today we'll be canceling an upcoming Netflix stand-up special, one that I haven't seen, and uh, like the vast majority of the human species, aside from the family and friends of the people directly involved with the special, it is one that I will never see. NBC News reports, quote, when Hannah Gatsby entered a deal uh, at Netflix in 2022 with the goal of broadening a notoriously transphobic industry, they set plans for a multi-comic special featuring genderqueer comics from around the globe. Now titled Gender Agenda, the project will debut on March 5th with a lineup of seven performers. With Gatsby as curator and host, Gender Agenda will give the stage to Jess Tom, Alec, Asha Ward, Chloe Petz, Deanne Smith, Krishna Istha, and Mix Dahlia Bell. That's MX Dahlia Bell. So in the name of comedy, Netflix is bringing together Hannah Gadsby and seven other trans, gay, and non-binary comics. It truly is the dream team of humorless scolds. I mean, these are the, these are the unfunny specialists. They are the experts in the field of cringy bull****. This is like the SEAL Team 6 of bad comedy. This is like the, the scene in Power Rangers when all the individual rangers combine their powers to form one giant megazord, except in this case, the megazord is gay and overweight and can't form a punchline to save its life. Now, you've probably um, already been convinced to not watch this thing. I mean, the name Gender Agenda on its own probably does the trick, and the name Hannah Gadsby seals the deal. Everything else is just icing on the cake. But even so, I will still force you to endure the trailer for this special. Um, it won't be easy, but it can be a character-building experience if you have the right attitude about it. So uh, just deal with it. Here it is. Hello! This evening we've got a whole bunch of fabulous and diverse genderqueer performance, and I am incredibly excited to bring this to you. The last time Netflix brought this many trans people together was for a protest, so progress. <laughs> My name is Jess Tom, I'm trans, can you tell? Don't answer that! That was a test, you're passing, am I? 
There's something about being the only woman that walks into the space in a men's suit that makes those straighties think you're the most interesting person. Like, the women are coming up to you like, I had a sexual experience with a woman once. <laughs> now, I don't mean to interrupt the uh, comedic mastery on display here or the incredibly obvious and not at all convincing uh, laugh track, but uh, I do have to say one thing. What this woman just said could not be further from the truth. Nobody thinks that. Okay, nobody thinks that LGBT cross-dressers are the most interesting people. Nobody sees a woman in men's clothing and says to themselves, oh, wow, that person is fascinating. We are familiar with the concept of cross-dressing. You all have made sure that we are familiar with it. Uh, we do not find it very compelling. We are not captivated or spellbound by the fact that you are some variation of LGBT. In fact, our reaction is very much the opposite. Uh, we, we've had this stuff shoved in our faces so much for so long that we're bored to death by it. You know, but, but we are aware that you think that the rest of us find you interesting. That's, that's what's revealing about it. Like, it. That's the whole dynamic is that these people walk into the room and they think that we think that they are the most interesting. You think you're walking into the room dressed in the clothes of the opposite sex and, and you're just totally blowing our minds. We can't even believe it. You think we're all looking over at you and whispering amongst ourselves, wow, do you see that? She's a woman, but she's dressed in a skull cap and a jean jacket. I've never seen anything like that before. Is this even allowed? Is it possible? Is this, she's defying the laws of physics as I, as I understand them. This is what you imagine. But in reality, we are all used to seeing millennial lesbians dressed like dock workers from the 1940s. It's not exactly riveting. Anyway, uh, here's more of this terrible thing that I'm forcing you to watch. But I don't want to say that anymore because it sounds so negative. From now on, I say my mind sparkles with imaginary danger. Back when I was in school, kids used to call me a butt pirate. And that was kind of cute. I'm not mad at it. I'm really not. Although I will admit, I do personally prefer booty bandit or bum burglar. But we can't all be great writers. Now can we? Sex work and performance art are very similar. Someone's always naked, and someone's always thinking, when is this going to end? We've all been there. The more that I read about the gay agenda online, the more alarmed I'm becoming at how much more confident straight people are and our ability as gay people to do anything. Our community evaporates the moment we have to post a group photo. March 5th, you can see the whole thing. Now, as you already suspected, this is going to be the worst comedy special of all, of all time. I mean, it's virtually guaranteed to claim that title. And, and, and that, I mean, that's saying a lot, uh, especially recently. This thing will make Samantha B look hilarious by comparison. It'll make a, a Chelsea Handler special, special look like prime Richard Pryor. And, and keep in mind, they put the best, most uproarious jokes in the trailer. So... What you just saw there is as good as it gets. That's the cream of the crop from the non-binary comedy festival. That butt pirate joke was an absolute highlight of the evening, apparently. Which, by the way, side note, uh, total bullshit, first of all. He's, he's trying to act unbothered. Oh, they called me butt pirate. I thought it was... If anyone said that to your face, you, would, you, you collapse in tears, guaranteed. So let's be, let's be real about it. Um, but there is a point to be made here. Aside from the fact that this comedy special is sure to be very bad and not funny and, and lame, um, it's the most obvious point, which is that, you know, as you notice, every joke in the LGBT special is about the fact that they are LGBT, which is what makes it terrible and also what makes it, thankfully, very ineffective propaganda. It would be much more effective propaganda if they gathered all the gay cross-dressing comedians together and they all did comedy sets that had nothing to do with the fact that they are gay and like to cross-dress. You know, if they all gave, if, if, if none of them mentioned it one time and they talked about other things in life, then that would be much more effective propaganda. If the guy in the dress came on stage, never said anything about the fact that he's wearing, uh, that, he, that he's a guy in a dress, and instead proceeded to do a bunch of jokes about air travel and the DMV or whatever, um, that, you know, that would be more effective. That's how left-wing propaganda worked for the most part for decades. They would normalize their ideas by slipping them into the entertainment without making the entertainment about the thing that they are normalizing. It was a much more subtle tactic, and unfortunately, it worked amazingly well. 
Now, lucky for us, they've forgotten the secrets of their own trade. They don't slip their ideas in anymore. They bang you over the head with them until you're lying semi-conscious on the floor. That's the whole reason Hannah Gatsby has a career, in fact. In the past, the left would have, they would have tried to find a liberal female comedian who is actually funny, which is not an easy task, admittedly, but they would have tried to find one and prop her up and, and promote her. Someone who can disarm you with laughter and then sprinkle in the leftist propaganda. But now they try to make Hannah Gatsby happen. They heap critical acclaim on this person who, who nobody likes, has never made anyone laugh, has never even told a joke at any point during her whole comedy career. For Gatsby, every joke goes like this. Hey guys, did you know I'm lesbian? Yep. End of joke. That's, the, that's every joke. That's every single joke that she tells. The part of the reason that this transition has happened, of course, is that the Alphabet Club has completely taken over the left. And we know that for the Alphabet Club, their entire personalities have been consumed by the Alphabet. They've divided themselves into parts and they've given each part a label, gay, non-binary, demi, whatever, etc. And they've cataloged it all until there's nothing left of themselves. There's no, there's no part of themselves left that hasn't been claimed by all these various different you know, letters in the Alphabet. And they think the most interesting fact about them is that they're LGBT because that is the only fact about them as far as they are concerned. That's how you end up with this god-awful crime against humanity that they call a comedy special. And that is also why it is, before it even comes out, canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed. One stage. One night. No limits. Don't miss the epic return of the God King, Jeremy Boring, with Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Clavin. Backstage. Watch it live tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, exclusively on the Daily Wire Plus app and on dailywire.com.